Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2017, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. And we are thrilled to announce that we've hit a milestone with this show this month with over 1 million listens. Yay! Well, tonight we are presenting the third episode of a series on electromagnetic pollution and its very real effects on the human body. Our guest expert this evening is Michael Newert, an engineering consultant who's been testing and reducing electromagnetic fields since 1992. He holds a bachelor's degree in engineering from the University of Wisconsin, a master's degree in psychology from Sonoma State University, and a state electrical contractor license in California. Michael has over 26 years of experience helping clients who have reported adverse health symptoms and sensitivity from electromagnetic fields. He himself is sensitive to EMFs, and thus, unlike most engineers and scientists, Michael is personally aware of the real-life health challenges that can result from exposure to cell phones, Wi-Fi, smart meters, power lines, and many other common EMF sources. His company provides EMF testing, wiring repairs, shielding services, and low EMF wiring consultations in the San Francisco Bay Area. Michael is presently developing EMF educational curriculums training new EMF apprentices, and writing a book about EMFs and how to protect our health. He has authored numerous articles and websites, including the highly informative website, www.emfcenter.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we would like to thank Jada, Fiona, and welcome our newest team member, Kathy, for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who has a question or comment for Michael. And check out our online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk Radio. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com, which is our main site, is 888-881-0881. Our Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And for those who need healing of any kind, whether emotional, physical, or spiritual for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want an interpretation of that chart, you're going to need to order it at least three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I will introduce Anastasia with her fascinating starseed news. (laughs) Hey, Anastasia, how are you tonight? 
Hello, Ariel. Good mor- Good evening, everyone. It's great to be with you, and it's going to be a great show tonight. Well, we've had some really good programs the last few weeks on a very important topic, so I'm really grateful and uh, looking forward to it. This is so helpful. Um, just hope this becomes widespread knowledge, so thank you for bringing these wonderful guests on the air. Well, we are having geomagnetic storms that are predicted for today and tomorrow because a large hole has opened in the sun's atmosphere, and it is spewing a stream of solar wind toward Earth today. The first contact with the gaseous material will produce a minor G1-class geomagnetic storm, intensifying to moderately two uh, uh, G2 storms tomorrow as Earth moves deeper into this solar stream. And Russia plans to build a moon base by the year 2050. That's right. You know, that isn't so terribly far away. Russian space corporation Energia has presented a plan for a moon exploration program, which includes building a lunar base between 2040 and 2050. Now, this base is intended to be a springboard for future missions to deep space and other planets. Now, the site for the future base will be chosen before 2030, after which preparations will be in full gear, including the creation of the main modules of the station and a radiation shelter. Now, according to the presentation, Energia is planning to carry out the construction of lunar base and scientific program between 2040 and 2050. As soon as the base is finished, the moon's resources will be explored. Wow. Hmm. President Kennedy is rolling over in his grave. And for those of you that might be able to remember that far back, the few of us who remain, this was uh, Kennedy's whole intention of the original space program was to get there before the Russians. And here it goes. Uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, Google's artificial, in- artificial intelligence, Google's AI, is watching YouTube clips to learn about human behavior. What does that mean? (laughs) It means that robots are watching us very literally. Google has curated a set of YouTube clips to help machines learn how humans exist in their world. Now, the AVAs, or, quote, Atomic Visual Actions, end quote, are three-second clips of people doing everyday things like drinking water, taking a photograph, playing an instrument, hugging, standing, cooking, things like that. And each clip labels the person the AI should focus on, along with the description of their pose and whether they're interacting with an object or perhaps another human. And despite the exciting breakthroughs made over the past years in classifying and finding objects and images... Recognizing human actions still remains a big challenge, according to Google. Uh, They say that this is due to the fact that actions are, by nature, less well-defined than objects in videos. So what they're doing now to solve that problem is they have created a catalog of 57,000-plus clips of videos that highlights 80 actions Uh, but labels more than 96,000 humans. Google pulled clips from uh, from a variety of popular movies, and they're emphasizing that they drew from a variety of genres and countries of origin, just so that their database will be all-inclusive. So, there. Wow. 
guys. That's just the start of things. <laughs> well, Indonesia's had a tough time this past week. Please include that in your thoughts. Uh, there have been four tornadoes that struck around Jakarta in Indonesia. Um, now, Jakarta is transitioning into its rainy season, and most of the Indonesian capital's residents are mostly worried, usually, about the possibility of epic flooding, which they've had in years past. But lo and behold, they had a series of tornadoes hit uh, several places on Sunday afternoon. Now, fortunately, there were no casualties or injuries reported, but that wasn't all that happened uh, in Indonesia this weekend. They had a strong 6.7 magnitude earthquake. There was no tsunami warning. There were no immediate reports of casualties or damage. So Indonesia's kind of been getting it lately. Well, here's a wonderful story. You know, I love the concept of interspecies communication. It's long been the subject of investigation for paranormal researchers or those that are interested in, um, let's say, new consciousness. Well, here's an article about a beluga whale who learned the language of dolphins. Now, in November of 2013, a four-year-old captive beluga whale was moved to a brand-new home. Now, she had been living in a facility with other beluga whales, but in her new pool, she, she only had companions that were dolphins. Now, I wish you could see a picture of this because it's really beautiful. There's photographs that show the dolphins with this whale, this singular whale, a female. And in the beluga's first days in her dolphin pool, she gave calls typical for her species. She made beluga calls. She made squeaks and vowel-like calls and particular two-tone sounds that seemed to be her typical contact calls. This is how belugas reach out to one another. Well, now, they're known to be similar to the dolphin's signature whistles, but they are not the same as the dolphins, and these are the sounds that the belugas make uh, to keep in connection with their group. And particularly mother and baby beluga whales use these calls to keep track of each other. And they do this uh, with their friends and relatives as well. These are calls that they recognize with those that are familiar, that they use to contact those that are most familiar to them. Well, that went on in the beginning. She was trying to reach out and find other belugas, clearly, with her calls. Well, at two months, um, guess what she was doing? She was adding calls that resembled the signature whistles of the three adult dolphins in her new group. She also made whistles that all of the dolphins share together. And then she dropped her beluga contact calls altogether. Now, this beluga, finding herself alone, may have been especially motivated to join the dolphin social group, I'm sure. And what's beautiful is that she found a way to do it. One of her keepers said this may be an interesting example of interspecies communication. Well, in my opinion, uh, for what it's worth, that's a particularly understated evaluation. You know, scientists tend to be sort of um, unenthused at times. I think it's a remarkable thing. Belugas themselves have been known to imitate other sounds. This isn't new. But taken in whole context that she was taken away from her like kind, put into a pool with strange dolphins, left alone, um, given the intelligence and the high consciousness of these animals, it stands to reason that she adapted and uh, began to have and develop a personal relationship and a, a method of communication with the dolphins around her. I think that's 
so That's inspiring beautiful. and beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? Mm. I think yeah. it's beautiful. Now, listen, I'm, I'm going to share a story with you that I have to apologize right up front. You really need to see the video. So I'm just going to tell you up front that when you, uh, if you decide to see this video, and I hope you do, you, it's, it's very short. It's just a few seconds. Long enough, though, to see what I'm talking about. Um, I'll give you the, uh, uh, the sort of the way to get to it on YouTube with, at the end of this, uh, at this piece. If I tell you now, I'll give it away. So <clears throat> let me just start. Um, there is a, an argument going on in the state of Mississippi about whether a sighting by a man of an enormous cat uh, could be a house cat or maybe a big black panther. And, and it amazes me because when you watch the video, you go, my God, that cannot be a, a big house cat. Well, here, here's the story. There was this Mississippi man um, that was dumbfounded when he spotted what appeared to be a massive it, it is a massive black cat that was walking through a field, and the experts can't even agree on what, they, what he saw. Now, this strange, very strange encounter took place as the witness was pulling into a Wendy's restaurant in the city of Hernando, Mississippi, and he noticed something odd in the distance. Now, initially, he thought that maybe he was watching a deer or a coyote, but then he realized that this creature was actually a really, really big cat. He never saw anything like that before, so he grabbed his cell phone and he turned on the camera and he captured some footage, and that's what I'd like you to see on the YouTube. I'd like your opinion to see what you guys think it is. And the man is talking on the on the video on the on his camera what he recorded, while there's a bunch of commercials playing in the background on his car radio, which makes it even more authentic, right? This isn't staged. And he's saying in the in the video, he's saying that is an absolutely enormous something over there he says i mean it's a cat but this thing is gigantic well now he was standing about maybe 100 yards away from this animal when he filmed it and um when you think that this was from 100 yards it gives you some idea when you look at the film of this cat's enormous size now here's the deal um the the what kind of cat this is or was is the source of controversy in the state of Mississippi because different officials and departments have had different opinions, wildly different opinions. Now, an expert with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife was quick to dismiss the feline as simply a house cat, and he asserted that the pointed shape of the creature's ears confirmed his conclusion. However, the city and county animal control officers are differing strongly. They say that the creature is much more dangerous, uh, much more like the dangerous mountain lion, and they're currently on the lookout for the big cat, thinking that it's a threat to, to people and to small animals. <laughs> well, one way we might solve the mystery is if somebody comes forward to claim this enormous cat and confess that maybe they'd been giving them a little bit too much fancy feast. You know, maybe they they kind of overgrew their house cat. Well, I found out further information on this since I, I discovered this article because the local newspaper is reporting that a biologist with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks said this cat is far less sensational than some media outlets are claiming. He said that biologists look at this differently. We look at distinguishing characteristics to identify an animal. And he says... This is not a panther or a cougar or a mountain lion. It's a house cat. You can look at the erect ears. The position of the ears gives it away. Pointed tips. That's a house cat every time. 
Now, they have had Black Panther settings in this area, but this biologist says the only true wild, uh, wild black cats are leopards and jaguars. And the biologist claims that large black cats are not native, and they have never been documented in North America. Now, there are some other biologists that agree with this guy. They say, after watching the video, that it may be a pretty big one, but it's a house cat. So, I would like you guys to check it out. I mean, it's, it's huge. It looks like a panther. You check this out. A house cat this size? What in the world? Okay, is it another sign of the times? What is this? Anyway, check it out. It's fun. You go on YouTube and then just scan for Big Cat in Mississippi Field. And then I say to you, you're not going to believe the size of this animal. It's a pretty decent video. Slightly fuzzy, but not too bad. It doesn't look fake to me. And wow, a house hmm. cat. Check it out. I'd like you guys to let me know what you think of that. So, I don't know. Strange things afoot, if you ask me. But that's yeah. it for tonight's news. Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to okay. give you more time for this great guest and uh, all the important stuff you guys have to talk about next. And uh, from my heart to each one of you, much love. Have a beautiful week, everybody, and we'll see you again next time on the news. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Anastasia. And I'm going to go. I'm going to look at that cat. <laughs> Thanks so much for bringing us the news, and everyone, send your prayers, please, to Indonesia. So um, we are going to switch over now and get Lavendar and Michael Newert online here. So just give me a second to do some clicking here. And, okay, Michael, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you with us. Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. And, Lavendar, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Will you take it away? Okay. So, Michael... I noticed uh, when I printed out your questions that you're in Santa Rosa, California. So did you get heavy fire where you are? Very close, but not right where I live. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a very, very big deal for much of the city. Two of my very closest friends ran for their lives with the first firestorm, barely got out, and their houses are destroyed. So there's a lot of people who are... um, kind of getting over that first shock now and looking at what's next. Yeah. One one of our friends, Leela Hutchison, she um she was in that um zone where everything was going on. I haven't heard from her recently. She just left with her with her life. So I need to check on her. So anyway, Michael, I'm so glad that yeah. you're here with us talking about electromagnetic pollution and the and the questions that you sent me are just marvelous and I can't wait to start with them. So at the beginning, though, let's just talk about what an EMS are. Let's acquaint our audience with this. Yes. EMF, of course, stands for electromagnetic fields. And it's actually a really broad kind of term, so sometimes we have to break it down a little bit into what kind of EMF we're talking about. But in the in the broad sense, electromagnetic fields, the word field and radiation can actually kind of be used interchangeably, and it covers, you know, where there, there's kinds of radiation we're aware of, which is like um, uh, the solar, um, the, su- the sunlight you see, the visible light you see, the heat of the sun, the infrared radiation you can feel from the sun that heats our planet. That's a kind of an e- electromagnetic phenomena. All those X-rays and cosmic rays and the, 
you know, the, the um, kind of radiation that's used to um, do an x-ray on your teeth and all that. Those are another kind of EMF. But all those things I just mentioned are sort of um, one kind of EMF that um, is one thing. And what we're talking about today, this EMF is lower frequency. It's, it's the EMFs that for so many years have been considered completely safe, completely like not interacting with our brains or our bodies. Um, it used to be thought, in other words, that you needed like an X-ray or a cosmic ray or some really high energy kind of EMF, and then that would do damage. But it's, And then these lower frequencies, which are less energetic than sunlight, um, that these could not harm us. But it turns out there's just thousands and thousands of studies now which show all kinds of effects on us. And it looks like, and if you, if you work like, like I do, when you work with sensitive people, there's a lot of stuff beyond what the studies show. You know, it has to be in some ways quite um, a substantial thing to even show up in a study. People are being affected by things that studies haven't teased out yet. Um, so I see a lot of effects on people and their lives and their health and their mental state. Um, so these electromagnetic fields are the kind of things that come from all our normal things, pretty much everything that's electric and everything that's electronic. So, you know, things like from power lines, from the wiring in your wall, from the lamp near your bed, from the clock, from your washing machine. You know, then there's also then all the electronic things, all the communication devices, all the things that use wireless like Wi-Fi routers and cell phones and cell towers. So there's all these different kinds of EMFs, and the ones we're probably talking about today are these normal electric and electronic kind of radiations that have been considered just so safe, not a problem with it for so many years up until recent years where we start to see, wow, you know, that was a we can even get into why scientists made that assumption that these EMFs are safe. But, um, but that's what we're going to be looking at, all these things that are from our common things around us. So what are some of the symptoms and problems that people report due to these EMFs? Yeah, it's very broad. Um, one of the ways I look at it is you're, with EMFs, you're often affecting your whole system. It's like a systemic effect. It's not just like just digestion or just your skin or just a particular organ. When you're doing, when with EMFs health effects, it appears they have a lot to do with the communication systems within our bodies. And this is a very systemic thing. So you're starting to interfere with all kinds of communication. That can be inside the cell, from the outside of the cell to the inside of the cell. That can be from one cell to another. That could be organs. Um, so, and it turns out some of the cancers that are related to EMFs, they're all the whole body cancers. They're like blood cancer, leukemia, brain and nervous system cancers, lymph cancer, um, and um, so the, the uh, and skin cancer, actually. So the, the things that kind of extend through our whole bodies. Um, so... You know, if you're saying, what are the effects? Well, in the in the extreme end of all of this, you have lots of evidence for increased cancer. That's that's an, that's one end of this whole extreme. Um, 
what we want to be careful is not to say that the effect only happens if you actually develop cancer. Um, the way I look at it is there's a lot of things that go together to make cancer, and by the time someone actually has a cancer diagnosis, there is a lot that has gone wrong, and even if maybe, say, 1% of the population gets a particular cancer, I'm guessing that another 20% of the population has had their immune system and nervous system adversely affected, not so much that they got the cancer, but they're having all kinds of issues that are, you could say, like pre-cancer, right? So the kind of things that happen for people that are really common are, uh, some. I would say the biggest thing that probably people report is sleep problems. All kinds of sleep issues, waking up at unusual times, not being able to get to sleep, getting very poor quality sleep. And one of the biggest things that I'll see changes in with my clients when we do remediations and clean up the environment, all the toxic electromagnetic things around them, for instance, um, one of the most common things to improve is sleep. And um, it's amazing. Um, you know, uh, one of the ways you can look at this, some of, a lot of the other factors that are linked to um, other, other health problems, if you think of once, once you've disturbed sleep, it's not just sleep that's disturbed. There's all kinds of health impacts of not getting good sleep. So um, I believe that actually some of the EMF issues are related to interference with good sleep, um, and then thus our immune system is down. Uh, it's not as vigorous as it would be as we have a good sleep. There's all kinds of things that can happen as a result. So you have sleep things that people report. Also, a lot of people, sensitive people especially, there's sort of um, headaches, fatigue, mental confusion, memory troubles, anxiety. There's a sort of those sort of more, you know, cognitive. You know, some of the interesting things with kids, with sensitive kids especially, but when you look at wireless things like cell phones and Wi-Fi, when you look at the research, some of the when you look at the lowest levels of exposure and you go down to the low you know relatively low level exposures the first things that you see are cognitive and learning um, effects for kids so at the lowest levels what you see is like kids having more you know ADD ADHD behaviors more trouble in school there's all those are some of the first things that show up at low levels so there's these these ways that our brain works, and even you know the way we feel, um, so that's a very that's a very common thing that people experience is these kind of cognitive and anxiety sort of issues. So let me ask you, Michael. Yes. Um, I'm so concerned about the children on the planet, and and seeing how they're um, really taken to this new technology. They have it in yeah. their hands nonstop. They sleep with their phones. The cell phone yeah. towers are on top of their school buildings. What can yes. we do about this? Oh boy, you're yeah. <laughs> yes. Um well, it's like a lot of things, isn't it? There's a bit of a collective madness going on in some ways. And how do we do with that? So what basically what I do, you know, my my expertise is helping individuals deal with this. So before I say too much, there's a the collective thing. Um like here in California, the governor recently actually vetoed a bill which was going to make it much easier for all the different kind of cell phone providers to not just have cell phone towers in, like on the top of a building, but basically um, rolling out 5G 
and um, cell services and internet services like pretty much on every power pole, right? Much closer, much more um, distributed, um, everywhere kind of thing. So, you know, so there's the all the, there's, there's fighting some of those things. I just want to make people aware that right now we really need people who are a little conscious to actually say to our representatives, we don't want this <laughs> when the things come up. So given that, what do you have? Yeah, what do you have to do yourself? We can get in, you know, during the interview where you want to go with that. But basically, there is a lot you can do to reduce your own exposure and look at, like, your own exposure for your family or kids in some ways similar to the way that we might protect ourselves with our diets, not just eat everything that's out there at every health, at every, um, you know, fast food restaurant. And it's not always easy, but there are things we can do um, like if you eat organic and fresh food and local food as opposed to uh, maybe McDonald's or something. With EMFs, we have some of the same sort of options to take steps to be much more EMF-free, much more natural um, in what our bodies are soaking up, you know, what kind of radiations are around us by our own choices. And depending what, how, you know, your budget and your control over your housing there's more or less issues uh, or I mean abilities you have to deal with these issues. Um, if you own your own house and you're a little bit in the country and you're away from things, you've got a lot of control. If you're living in a, you know, a, um, in, a, in a rental unit in a five-story building and you've got neighbors on every wall and they've got their Wi-Fi going, you know, it's a different situation. So basically what it comes down to is getting aware of the pollution that's around you and taking steps to either eliminate it completely, replace it with something that's not making EMF. Sometimes we do some shielding. Um, sometimes we just move things farther away. Um, with sometimes we just turn off things at night, so at least the wiring around you is not giving the fields. It's kind of all about awareness. Like, um, so, of course, what I do in my work is I come out with test meters, or I, I rent and sell the meters to people also so they can self-test. And if we were at your house and you were t testing everything, you find out, holy smokes, this power line has this huge magnetic field from it, much higher than the levels linked to kids' cancer in the studies, we might say, wow, can that be fixed or not? And if not, some people will even move to a place where there's less of that environment. And if, you, if it's something that can be fixed, we go through maybe the steps to, to do that. Every situation is different. But basically, you can figure that for most people, at least half or probably three-quarters of what they're getting, um, the pollution they're getting, is probably under their control. So what about dirty electricity? I've been hearing a lot about that. Tell us more yeah. about electricity. That's, that's a really, I think, a really important issue, but a, a kind of a, one of the most difficult to address. And um, I have a little bit myself of a alternative view on dirty electricity than a lot of people do. Um, dirty electricity has to do, I would back up a second, some people would think, oh, dirty electricity is an EMF, but technically it isn't. Um, dirty electricity, as it's dealt with right now, it has to do with the quality of the electrical signal that's on the wiring of your house. And it has to do, people who are a little familiar with science will have heard of something called a sine wave. It's the way our electricity alternates. It goes up in voltage, down in voltage, up in voltage, down in voltage. And that, that's a smooth transition 
theory, you know, I, um, in a perfect world. But in our world, it's actually it's actually a dirtier signal. You could say it's noisy. There's different words for this. You could say it's a noisy signal. It means kind of irregular or it's dirty. And so what happens is when you have dirty electricity, it means that the fields that are emitted from the wiring tend to also be dirty. So rather than get a, a sort of textbook scientific 60 hertz field, which 60 hertz means this field is going positive, negative 60 times a second, it means it's also carrying along some other signals, which you just call dirty. They're the things we don't want, but they're coming along. It's kind of like, are you, having, are you drinking clear water, or is, there, or is the water kind of dirty, and there's other things coming along with the water? So it appears that some people are not only sensitive to the EMFs that come from the wiring, but when it's dirty and it's this kind of more irregular, more toxic kind of signal from the wiring, that that makes it even worse. So dirty electricity has to do with this worsening of the fields you're getting from your wiring, mostly. Um, and my approach is I worry about that, but my approach is to actually reduce the field, the entire field, you know, the, the smooth part of it and the dirty part of it, to reduce that all and um, rather than just focus on the dirty electricity and the wiring and trying to stop the dirtiness without stopping the field itself. So I think dirty electricity is a very important issue, but I think stopping the fields is more important. And if you stop enough of the fields, then that dirtiness is no longer delivered from the wires to you. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's so, one of those things, you know, when you start to get into this, like what do you do? Do you buy this meter? Do you do that? And the thing that's nice about dirty electricity, anyone can test it. You can stick in a meter, and then you can stick in these filters to filter it out, and you see the number on the meter go down, and you don't need to be an electrician or expert to do that. So that is nice. But the reason that I shy away from that is with my work with sensitive people, this, the standard fix for the dirty electricity where you plug in these filters, um, what an engin engineer would call that, it's a type of capacitor. It's a type of electronics. When you do that, you make this voltage on the wires cleaner so it's, it's smoother, but there's a trade-off. Depending on the situation, you're actually making a new kind of field, another kind of field. Not the f You're making a field and you're making a different dirty field you're making a kind of field that the dirty electricity meter doesn't pick up. So it looks like everything's gotten better, but you don't have another meter to say, oh, you just fixed the dirty electric fields, but now you've made dirty magnetic fields. So basically what it comes down to with my really sensitive people that I work with, they are often adversely affected. They're often troubled by what people do when they try to fix the dirty electricity, plug in these filters. Some people actually feel worse when you do this dirty electricity fix. Some people feel better. There's a lot of, uh, it's about 50-50. With sensitive people, when they fix the dirty electricity with the standard filters, some feel better, but about just as many feel worse. So I tend to not try to fix it that way. That's why I try to reduce the whole field, the, the, the e whole EMF that comes from the wiring, because I find that that has a um, much better um, chance of helping um, my sensitive clients than by just putting in these filters. Wow, that's very that's very informative information that you just gave us. Absolutely. Let me ask you another question: uh, Is it true that biologically we humans have a magnetic sensing organ? Yes. Um, 
Lots. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting um, how not that many years ago it was totally denied that animals had magnetic sense. <laughs> um, and then now it's like almost, almost every species has a magnetic sense of some sort. And it's probably, it's probably one of the oldest evolutionary, oldest um, kind of senses. So you have it in everything from like slugs in the bottom of the ocean that use it to orient north-south, just a very simple thing, to whales which use it to navigate across the whole planet. Um, one of the most interesting studies that was done, was this a, I think it was the 70s, I have to like even look back when the, when the, when the year was, but where, where they were studying um, pigeons. Because pigeon, you know, homing pigeons, which are like, wow, how do they find their way? And the um, scientists had theorized that they were using, um, they were, that it was visual, you know. So they, um, they actually temporarily blinded the pigeons. And, 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 and lo and behold, they found that the pigeons would still get to their destination. But they did it a little different. They didn't fly, fly directly. They tended to fly like north, south, and east, west. And someone said, hey, I wonder if they're some, using some kind of magnetic field of the Earth navigation system. So the next experiment they did was they, um, besides temporarily blinding these pigeons, um, they actually put a magnet, taped a magnet onto their heads, a strong magnet. So basically it's obliterating their ability to sense the Earth's magnetic field because they've got this interfering field on their head. And when that happened, those pigeons could no longer get to their destination. So they sort of indirectly proved that the pigeons have a magnetic sense, somehow figures out the magnetic orientation of the planet and uses that to navigate. And that's not what we, we now know that, that there are just all kinds of animals, creatures that have a magnetic sense that, that navigate by it. So an interesting thing about that study when, you know, like a week or two later, when those magnets they had taped on the pigeons' heads started falling off, then those pigeons could, mag could navigate and they'd get back home again. So that was even another uh, proof of this. When they, when they lost the magnet that was interfering with their sense, they could find their way. So, so what it turns about humans? Out, yeah, so humans, so it's in almost all animals, and lo and behold, there, there's, there's a lot of suspicion. It's not necessarily all figured out yet, but we do know that we pick up magnetic fields from the planet. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if actually we have a nav way to navigate too, but we've kind of like lost that. But the other way that magnetic fields are sometimes used, the natural fields of the planet, is our, our circadian rhythms, our day-night cycle. So there have been lots of so magnetite, magnetite is a kind of a crystal, magnetic crystal that's in the environment. And it turns out there are all in our brain, there are magnetite crystals attached to nerves. Not that we know how this all works yet, but there's magnetic, you know, crystals that are affected by magnetic fields are attached to our nerves in our brain. And so we know we, it looks like we have a magnetic sense from that standpoint. But we also have a magnetic sense from the standpoint that just like the pigeons, that magnetic fields, it, um, what the studies are showing is that magnetic fields are used by our brains to tell the difference between night and day. Kind of like pigeons where they have two systems. One is a visual. So when, you know, when it gets dark at night, it's this, it's, it sends a signal to, in our nervous system to, to our pineal gland to start making melatonin. But it turns out there's another system 
that have to do with magnetic fields that's sensing these really minute changes in the Earth's magnetic field, the, the pulsing of the Earth's magnetic field, something called the Schumann resonance, and that our brains can kind of tell the difference between night and day, and they use that information to regulate our day-night cycles. And one of the ways that's been shown is if you make artificial magnetic fields and interfere with that. So if you, just like the pigeons had a magnet on their head and now they couldn't navigate, what turns out if you have artificial magnetic fields strong enough, like from a power line or your wiring, that there are studies showing that that interferes with our secretion of melatonin at night, interferes with the pineal glands, ability to understand is it night or day, is it time to switch from that more um, sympathetic nervous system during the day to the parasympathetic nervous system at night. And, uh, and it's an interesting switch. So our pineal gland is partly tracking the magnetic fields of the earth to know whether it's night or day, to switch over to the nighttime mode, melatonin, the repair time. You know, most of our cancer fighting and, and repairs in our bodies are happening at night. Even the fact that magnetic fields, artificial magnetic fields are known to suppress melatonin, um, it turns out that's huge for causing all the health effects right there. Because first of all, melatonin is one of our strongest anti-cancer um, fighters. Our natural anti-cancer fighter molecules in our body is our melatonin. And it's also since it's affecting sleep, if we don't sleep as well, our, our immune system isn't good. There's a lot of things that go in our body that aren't quite being revived and refreshed like it should. So um, there's, there's still studies going on trying to confirm all this, but I think it's pretty clear. Even Dr. Robert Becker, back many decades ago when he started writing his books on this subject, was talking about this. It's just getting more and more clear every year, I believe. I, I find that a lot of my clients are talking about their sleep habits and how they're having to double up on their melatonin to go to sleep. Yes. It's, you know, my my work with EMFs kind of actually comes out of um, my first clients were not so much humans. They were electronic systems, buildings mostly. So you just like you can have like a sick person, a sick human, someone who's troubled, you can have buildings who are sick and troubled. Uh, electronics in buildings, interference with electronical things, com com computer things. So I started out by fixing buildings. <laughs> and uh, and what was interesting about that is you could have all kinds of, once you inter what you have an EMF that interferes with something in the computer system or the electronic controls, and lo and behold, certain things don't work in the system of the building, and it's just interference. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's well known, like you... Um, there's all kinds of interference. Um, like I have a client that said his neighbor got some kind of new special um, wireless Wi-Fi or something, and every time the neighbor turned on the wireless, um, the three people in the neighborhood, their garage doors would open or close. <laughs> so, so kind of really kind of, kind of bizarre, almost spooky things can happen because EMFs are used for communicating information a lot, and if you have one EMF doing one thing, it can interfere with the communication. And I think that's what's happening to us is we have a lot of things that are electromagnetic processes in our body. That magnetic field sensing of the Earth's magnetic field for nighttime versus daytime, that's probably just one of the many, many sort of electromagnetic processes going on in our bodies. So we have artificial fields, which are just dirtiness, just crazy 
non-natural signals, very unnatural, and our body's trying to cope with that. And I think that throws certain things off, everything from cellular function, hormone, the effects on hormones are big, stress chemicals, the release of stress chemicals is big. Um, so there's a, all kinds of things that can happen, just like, well, a neighbor turns on his Wi-Fi and lo and behold, your garage door opens. It's very unpredictable sometimes what happens when you have this kind of interference. So what does the future hold for us who are sensitive to these EMFs? For example, the rollout of 5G in coming years. Can you give us some insight to what 5G is really about? When I read about it in July of last year, I just freaked out. Yes. It's, um, boy, it's, uh, well, what's changing in the world, you know, it used to be, like, um, 25, 20 years ago, I selected my house. There was a cell tower, but it was like five miles away. And that was the nearest cell tower, and there was no cell reception. And then, you know, 2G, 3G, 4G, more cell towers, more antennas, better hidden, you know. I just found another one yesterday at top of my favorite restaurant. Holy smokes, that's, you know, disguised in a chimney <laughs> there. So, so what's happening is not so much that the signals are getting stronger, where you have like one cell tower trying to go miles, but it's being much more distributed. They're filling in, like San Francisco, every block's got a little cell tower of some sort, you know. So it's, it's getting very busy. It used to be that you could live in a place where there was a very high exposure because you're near the cell tower. You could be four miles away like me, which was almost unmeasurable. Now it's getting much more spread out. It's harder to find those sweet spots where there's no fields, and everybody's getting exposed no matter where you're at. So what's changing is it's just getting more prolific, more proliferated in every little place. Not necessarily hugely strong. Um, most people get their strongest exposures from their own Wi-Fi, from their own phone at their head, you know, things that are right in their house, then the outside sources. But the outside sources now are everywhere. Even when you turn off your stuff and you're going to sleep, lo and behold, that antenna on the power pole outside is still emitting. So 5G is basically taking, distributing it much more. That's why, like here in California and a lot of places already, they're putting it on, on the power pole, the telephone poles in, 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 the, in the neighborhood. Sometimes every other pole, there's a little, like little mini cell tower kind of thing. So there's a lot more antennas operating at a lower strength because they don't need to go as far. Sometimes they're only serving a block or half a block. But there's so many more of them, and they're very busy. So there's this spreading out, and every every little there's no such thing as a corner without a reception, right? I know people who have houses, and they're afraid that one half of their bedroom over on the east side might not get reception, so they put a booster in. You know, it's got to have it everywhere, kind of thing. So 5G is kind of rolling out antennas everywhere, and that might even include some in the air, balloons, you know, satellites. A lot of it's going to be local, very close kind of things, like on your on your power poles. The other aspect of it is every time they go from like 2G to 3G, I'd see my sensitive clients have trouble. They manage with their 2G phone, but now 3G bothers them. Or they finally got used to their 3G phone, now when 4G. Every step in technology looks like is more toxic, um, like a fancier chemical to do more things. So my worry about 5G is not so much the increased strength of exposure, but the fact that it's going to be more everywhere and closer, 
and that the signals are going to be more toxic to me. They're going to be another engineer's creation of putting more information in a, in a, in a signal, and generally that means it's usually more toxic. That's, that's what my um, sensitive clients show me, um, and that's what I notice myself. So what it's probably going to mean is that those of us who are concerned about this are, are probably going to be starting to take steps to not only reduce our own exposures by, by limiting our own wireless devices, but more and more people now are going to be doing like shielding kind of sanctuary spaces for themselves, like a bedroom where they do some shielding and you keep the fields out for the night. Um, it's going to be a little different for everybody out there, but I, it's pretty much getting to the point. I almost think it of like smoking and non-smoking zones, like on the airplanes in the past, you know, it was kind of silly you'd be in an airplane and the, the front half is supposedly non-smoking, but it was better than being right with the smokers. And so that's what I think we're going to have to do um, is um, actually one of the things that I'm doing with, with, with sort of like retreat centers and, you know, more, more public uh, places is go to something like that because people demand their wireless, right? But we actually have a shielded area. We have certain areas where you can't use wireless. And then if you do want to use a wireless, you go to this part of the building, and the rest of the building is shielded from that, sort of like a smoking lounge, <laughs> but it would be like a, a Wi-Fi lounge and a cell phone lounge. And that's what people are starting to do with their houses, um, is have parts that are shielded and protected, and there's no wireless involved, like the kids' bedrooms and their bedrooms. But then because they can't necessarily keep the teenagers from having their friends over who want to get in their cell phones and different things, and neighbors and or come over or visitors, and they keep certain areas that are just open to the, you know, whatever's happening out there, um, like their living room and their kitchen or something, and they shield certain areas. That's kind of where it's going right now. It's harder, it's getting harder and harder to pack up and move away from these things because of the way that they're spreading out everywhere now. Do you have any information about communities that are um, going to go wireless-free? Are communities starting to, to band together to say no more wireless for us? There are so many of us that want that. There's very little of that yet. You know, the big um, Green Bank, West Virginia, you've probably heard of that. Yeah. Tell us yeah. a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there you have a big national radio telescope and this is, this is, again, interference. So in this, there's a, there's a blackout zone, and this is not perfect by any means. And that People I'm in contact with there say, yeah, it's, it's not the haven yet you might think it would be. But basically, wireless devices are generally outlawed in a, in a I think it's a 10-mile radius. There's a hole there's a, there's a, around that um, radio antenna, very sensitive radio antenna, looking for these little radio frequency, these electromagnetic blips from from you know, off in other parts of the universe, right? And so they need a relatively clean environment so they don't get all kinds of interference so they can, you know, to pick up these signals. So it's kind of a radio frequency-free zone around that telescope. Um, and there's a significant number of sensitive people who've moved that to that area because you don't have cell towers and as much wireless in that area to try to get from that. But it turns out it's not quite that simple. People still do stuff. You still have regular electrical systems with the wiring and everything. So I don't know of anything that's a perfect solution yet. People like me are actually looking to band together with other folks to create just that kind of thing 
Um, but right now it's been a, pretty much on a, not a community level, it's been pretty much an individual level. People trying to do sort of, um, the biggest thing people are doing is buying country property far away from things with the neighbors fairly far away um, and then making their own little sanctuary space and sometimes maybe one other house. Um, so people are still kind of doing it on their own. There hasn't been a lot lot of putting it together into a whole community yet. But I think I'm I'm really thinking that's coming and I'm hoping it does. What, what what do we do with the doubters, the people that just laugh at us when we talk about the sensitivity of EMF? What do we do with those people? Boy, yeah, that's um So there's a couple things. One of the things is um one of the things I always recommend when people are concerned about this is to get the meters because they're different. You know, like if you're looking at food and you're wondering what you're getting in, you're getting in your food, you start reading labels, you know, um, or talking to your local farmer. Do you use this stuff? You know, what do you put? What do you spray your strawberries with? So you try to find out. The thing about EMFs is you can't see them. Some people now, partly by the use of their meters and understanding what's out there, have actually learned to track their symptoms and know that they're being affected, you know, even like track their blood pressure and their heart rate, um, which some of the signs that they're being exposed. But basically, since we don't see it, 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 that part of the reason that doubters even doubt it is because they don't see it, don't feel it. So it's not real, even though they know scientifically it is. So what I find is really helpful are test meters. So if I'm going to a typical couple and say that, you know, maybe more often than not, the woman is sensitive and the guy is kind of more scientific and say, oh, I think that's kind of crazy. When you get the meters out and I start, well, look, and you start going up to the uh, Wi-Fi router and you see the numbers go way, go way up, or if you use one of these acoustic type of meters that turn it into a sound and you hear the sound go, or whatever goes on, it makes it real. What was invisible is now real. It's interesting how the doubters, start to come around, but I have what, what the engineering types that were trained to think that this is nothing, right? That's their training. When they, when they really see these signals, they start to go, okay, you know, um, I cannot deny that it's there. I was actually kind of like denying that it was there. I, I'm still not sure that this is a health effect, but I know it can't be healthy. It's not a positive thing. So I'm going to be more in support of those getting rid of this. And it helps when they get up almost like a a physiological or more of a, a sense that the field is there. So I find the meters helpful for helping make that leap to understanding something's there that's normally invisible. Um, so that's one thing is to use the meters um, if it's more like a, like a loved one or, or a personal one and they, they see it's there. The other is if you're going to go um, the information route, um, one of the most interesting things out there is called the Bioinitiative Report. And if you, you can get to that, www.bioinitiative.org. So B-I-O-I-N-I-T-I-A-T-I-V-E report.org. Oh, I got that right. Um, if someone goes to that and you go to something called the RF Color Charts, I believe you'll see a link for that on the on the first page of the bioinitiative report. That's really neat because these color charts. What it is is that it's a chart. It it's, it just lists it lists studies starting with some of the lowest exposure levels for the radio frequency fields, you know, like at 0. .00003 microwatts per centimeter squared. This study from China by so and so in the year blah blah blah. 
found increased effect, you know, uh, just decreased production of sperm in, in men at age 25 or something. It's so interesting to go over that list and see the studies and the numbers. So, again, some of the people that want a little more evidence, uh, you can't argue that those studies are there. Um, and seeing the whole list of it is kind of helpful. You can just page after page after page. Um, it starts to make it more real to the scientific types that there's something there. So those are the two things that I have found. Um, the other, I guess the third thing I think of is sometimes I use um, an analogy, like I look for the person, if, if a person is trying to convince, like let's say, let's say a husband, and I have a lot of sensitive men too, it's not just women that are sensitive at all, um, thinking of, a, of a, you know, a client, a sensitive guy, and the woman's not so sure you know, about all this stuff. And then, you know, try to find out, well, well, the woman who thinks this is maybe a little crazy, does she have any allergies? Does she have any sensitivities? And a lot of times, you know, the person is like, oh, yeah, I'm allergic to dairy. I said, well, this is kind of like that. Some people are more sensitive to things than others, and the EMFs are no different. And just like you have this dairy allergy, I can do it fine. I can drink a glass of milk. It doesn't hurt me. But you have just a teaspoon of this stuff, and you're starting to cough and get itchy skin or whatever, you know. Um, some people are like that with EMFs, and sometimes that helps. Also, the understanding, um, a common one is chemical sensitivity, where now almost everybody knows somebody who's um, substantially affected by chemical sensitivity. It's much, it used to be, I remember, you know, it wasn't that long ago, that was the crazy thing, right? But they're making that up, it's in their head, blah, 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 blah. Um, now I find, at least in California, Northern California, almost everybody I run into knows somebody who is almost disabled with chemical sensitivity. And so I say, you know, it's something like that. It's, even if it's a low level for one person, um, some people are really affected by it, and it tends to be the more sensitive type of person who is affected by these more than maybe the more um, average mainstream person. Do you have any personal uh, experiences with your clients that you could share with us? People that you've you've helped uh, in, in your in your work. Yes, because um, well, first thing I think I'd, I'd even mention is what I find is um, some some of your some of some of the listeners, some of you out there may have read the book. I'm trying to think of the author, um, the highly sensitive person. And there's research out there, out there about the highly sensitive person. You know, the research actually shows that. You can predict the sensitive folks in the first week of life. You give them a little test, you expose them to a strong vinegar smell or a loud, shocking noise. Some infants are much more startled by that than others. And lo and behold, you test that person 30 years later, they're the sensitive ones. They've got a more sensitive nervous system, right? And so there's this kind of almost like profile of the sensitive person who is often more sensitive to chemicals and smells, maybe cigarette smoke, um, more sensitive to artificial things, um, things in food, artificial um, pesticides, things in food, more likely to have an allergy reaction to like milk or, or eggs or wheat or gluten, um, more sensitive emotionally, more concerned about, you know, what's going on for others, um, emotional attunement and worry about others. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people, you know, very sensitive. It's like my, my nervous system's always going. I'm sure if I was like in a native tribe, I'd be going, who's coming over the hill? What's that smell? And I still do that, you know. Something, what's that? Who's that? My nervous system is always attuning 
or um, figuring out what's going on. So I believe that electromagnetic sensitivity um, is something that's a very common, natural, normal thing for a lot of folks. Maybe they don't know it. And it's often very common for the average, for, for, the, for the sensitive person that I work with. I can almost always, when they say they're having trouble with the EMFs or the new router, I can say, oh, do you also have food allergies? Yes. Are you also sensitive to this? Yes. Do you also kind of like know what your husband's thinking and blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that kind of runs together. So the first thing I'd say is if you're the sensitive kind of person who's often a little more spiritually in tune too, and I would guess this in, in the people that are listening here, a lot of people who are a little more sensitive to spiritual things than maybe the average, it's very common for an EMF sensitivity to go along with that, and I believe that's just the more sensitive nervous system to begin with. So that's one thing I'd mention. And specifically about clients, one comes to mind, um, it had to, um, uh, thinking of an 80-year-old woman with, with chemical sensitivity um, um, who in Arizona had a very um, um, shielded complex, you know, like um, um, because of her chemical sensitivity had stainless steel uh, a stainless steel building, basically. But it turned out there were all kinds of EMFs going on, stray electricity running through things. And she knew she had some problem, and we fixed that um, by basically correcting some wire things and doing a very minimal wiring system. On the, on the cheap, we did like a very minimal wiring to get her out of the wiring fields. And it was a really interesting thing because when we first did it, she didn't feel better. This is the reason I'm sharing this with clients because it's not an easy thing to stop a sensitivity. I think of it as like um, like if you're allergic to wheat, you might have to get off the wheat for three days before you start to feel better. So there's delayed reactions. There's things getting out of your system. EMFs, it turns out, are the same thing. So with this client, um, I was out there. We're fixing things. She goes, wow, I didn't sleep any better. I don't feel any better. Oh, I'm really disappointed. I just said, hang in there, you know. <laughs> And then the next day and the next day, a week later after I had left, she called and actually said, it's a miracle, thank you. <laughs> so it took her a week to kind of get all that electromagnetic stimulation, however her nervous system was stimulated, somehow out of her system till she felt better. And, and what was neat about what she did, it was a very self-empowering thing. We, um, she was so sensitive to things. We actually set her up with like a, uh, like a wooden stick and if she'd go into a room, we had a switch there so that she could, like, turn off things before she'd go in. Like, to go to the refrigerator in this, in this part, yeah, she'd, like, use the stick, turn off the power, go and get things out of the refrigerator, come out, put on the stick. Because just going to the refrigerator once and back set her off. She was that sensitive. So what was neat about her story was, was that, to me, that <clears throat> when she got it clean enough, <clears throat> she felt a lot better and she got more self-sufficient. She didn't depend on her husband as much because now she could be more self-sufficient. And she got healthier and she could do more things. <clears throat> and with that, she could take care of her chemical sensitivity and other things more. So I've seen over and over again um, people actually improving health symptoms that were, like, crazy to figure out. And depending on the delay of how long they've been out of it, being successful in feeling better and not just feeling better, it's a little more like a little more alive, a little more functional, a little more like like in some cases people who couldn't visit their, their grandkids or something because they were so sensitive, and now they can go there. Maybe for two days they bring along a shielding canopy for their bed and then they leave, but they can get through it instead of getting like violently sick. 
So um, there's a lot of stories like that. Um, Tell us about the canopy over the bed. I want to know, do you sell those? I don't sell those. I help people get the right kinds. You know, when, when I'm working with somebody, we're usually trying to figure out what is really their issue. Like it might be, it's kind of the same thing with dirty electricity. Just sticking in a filter is sometimes helpful, but for some people it's actually worse. And there's people that put up canopies, which is a, kind of like mosquito netting kind of thing around the bed to keep out some of the fields. Sometimes that makes some of the fields better and other fields worse. And some people, again, feel worse in those canopies. It, it's really, it's, you almost have to experiment. So what I like to do is with test meters, either me or information from another tester or the, my client goes themselves with their meal meters, is we figure out what are their priorities and what's really bad. Some houses are not bad for the wireless coming in from neighbors, and they need to deal with the wiring that's in the walls right behind the head of their bed where they sleep. Right? That might be their priority. For somebody else, that's not a big deal. My gosh, that neighbor's got their their deck phone and their Wi-Fi router. It must be right at that window, five feet from my bedroom window. You know, it's so strong in here. And then we do shielding of that wall or talk to the neighbor or shield the smart meter. or um, It's always a little different. Um, so canopies do work in some situations. Um, and um, you can find them online. What I usually do with my clients is we actually figure out what kind of canopy do they need? Should they get the grounded type or the ungrounded type? Are we, do they have low enough electric fields to use the ungrounded type? There's, there's things, you know, the, the shielding materials are tricky because they interact with the EMFs, and you set them up to, in a way that it reduces you, but if you're not careful, it can make it worse. Um, so that's why I it, it think it needs a little bit of care you know, it's almost like I know a person who needs iron as a supplement because she's very low in iron, but there's also people who have too much iron, and that's part of their health issues. They have to get rid of the iron. So I'm always a little careful about saying just take iron as a supplement, and I would, just, I would be careful to say just take a, a canopy as a fix. I'm never quite sure until we get into it whether that really makes sense, but that is one of the options is to use shielding um, to protect yourself. And that's going to become, with the unroll, with, with 5G coming out, that's going to be probably more important. Actually, what I'd recommend for most people, if they can, rather than do a, a canopy, is to shield the room, the walls of the room, the ceiling, and the floor, if it's, you know, something below the floor. Um, I have better results with people saying, this is great, I love it, when the, shield, when, when the room is shielded rather than just kind of a smaller space, like just a canopy. Um, but, you know, every situation is a little different, and um, we oh, I was taking it as an individual basis. But there are shields out there that can definitely reduce the EMFs when used well. How about the, the, the coal springs in the bed? Wouldn't they vibrate to Wi-Fi? <clears throat> yes. So, you know, that, that's one of those funny things. Like when I was a kid, I never liked metal around me, and in all my life I never liked metal beds. And I didn't even like spring beds. I didn't even know why. Like, as soon as I could, and I could afford it as an adult, and I realized there was such a thing, I started getting um, the Tempur-Pedic, you know, no metal or um, latex kind of beds, right? And I don't even like wearing metal on me. So it turns out metals interact with the EMFs. And I've been in places where the metal mattress, um, the metal box springs, when I go to test the person, 
their levels of radio frequencies and electric fields, these are two different kinds of EMFs, electric fields from the wiring mostly, that both of those things were almost doubled as a result of those box springs. Wow. So the antennas, so it's like anything acts as an antenna, any wire, any, you know, um, any metal conducted. In fact, we are antennas. Our skin is an antenna, right? <laughs> we are antennas. So any antenna um, in some cases will actually attract some of the field and there'll be, and it will re-radiate the field. We call it a secondary antenna. It becomes an antenna. It absorbs the energy and re-radiates it. And in the vicinity of that, of that Spock spring, you sometimes have higher levels of fields, and you're right on top of that. It's kind of like the... um, How about the aluminum in our bodies? You know, there are so many aluminum cans and aluminum this, aluminum that. Wouldn't that have something to do with the activation of the Wi-Fi in the body? I wonder. You know, yes, there are a lot of people theorizing that heavy metals, mercury, um, especially, that because these are all metals that interact with EMFs, that having having metals, um, well, first of all, when you have something like a metal tooth, a gold crown or something like that, that's a big antenna right there, right? And maybe it's right on an acupuncture point in the tooth. Um, and then you've got metals in the body, more, you know, I, I'm, not an, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical doctor enough to, to know or say about that, but I suspect that's the case, partly from so many of my clients who feel it's true and that have actually been helped by doing, um, um, basically removing the metals from their body has, help, has been helpful to relieve some of their EMF sensitivities. So let me ask you about your services. Um, do you ever go to communities, like if we called you to, to come to our state and, and we would have, like, say, 20 or 30 people to uh, have their houses tested? Do you do things like that? Yes. Um, Usually it's more individual, and often I often when I travel, it's just for one or two or three clients in an area. But that is a, a yes, I would definitely do that. I have a technician who can do that. Um, sometimes you can find testers in your local area. Um, but when it's actually, I find it really interesting to work with a group. Um, um, there's a group in another town of Northern California, not too far from me, that I work with. Basically, all the people who are opposing. Um, cell towers uh, in the in some of the original days, and they got together and they realized, hey, we don't we not only have to worry about those cell towers. What's going on in my own house? <laughs> and it was very interesting, um, and I found it very helpful. And they could help each other also. So they have a whole community, and now their whole community that actually you know um, works against all these kind of crazy EMF issues going on in their in their community. But there's been something there's something neat about them all getting together. And supporting each other through that process of what of, of reducing their exposures, they're like supporting each other. Not they're not alone. So yeah, it's a very neat, very neat thing to do. So that particular community was actually an interesting lesson for me. Um, so these are all. But I, you know what I find is people who are activists um, in this area. Um, it turns out a, a very large percentage of them are having some kind of EMF health effect. That's why they're concerned, right? It's real to them. It's not just a concept or a scientific study. And what I found was, so in this community, these 10 people and all their homes that were working against cell towers, they're all kind of sensitive. When I went into their homes, you could say about 8 of the 10, I found they had actually unusually high exposures at home. And 
what I found over time is I believe that these people were sensitized to EMFs by living so many years in high electromagnetic field environments, in their case, due to house wiring issues, that when, the, when wireless started coming around, cell phones and Wi-Fi, they started feeling those things. They were already sort of maxed out with exposures. Now along comes the new exposures. That's adding to their total EMF load. They're the first ones to kind of go have troubles to go kind of go, um, you know, when this stuff came out. So I find that a lot of times people who are sensitive and know this is an issue, it can be really helpful to go back and see where you're sleeping at night, for instance, and make sure you're not in some high fields. And that's another thing I can say I've seen over and over and over again is the people that are being affected, often they've been sort of, um, it's, it's partly as a result of their sensitivity in general, but partly because they've been so exposed for a long period of time. Um, and if you get those exposures at home down, then they're maybe not as typically as troubled by everything going on in the outside world. What do you have to say about the smart meters? Because I I heard uh, sometime last year in California there was a, a guy that, that drove the van to go around and collect the information off the smart meters, and yes. he ended up getting really sick because... Ah, yes of what he was what he was dealing with. So tell us what you know about the smart meters and I hope that, that they've never come to my town, but I know they're coming, so I just have to oh, get ready for yeah, it, I guess. If, if they haven't yet, that's a surprise, yes. That's unusual. Um yeah, and here there's um um some of the first awareness of this came through um um there was some some of the policemen who were using the early versions of the radar to, you know, look at speeders, right? And uh, and one of those uh, policemen gets cancer that's just holding that thing in his lap every day. So there's occupational exposure that are even worse um, than normal. So smart meters, to me, there's, if, to me, smart meters are really a horrible mistake. <laughs> there, um, there's different versions of it, and depending where you live, there's there you know for your electrical service or for your gas service or for your water service, there's different versions. Some give more exposure than other. In most cases, for most people, smart meters are not their biggest exposure. For most people, their biggest exposure is having a cell phone at their head, a Wi-Fi router in their office, things that are like right in their house within the walls, right? So. So in that case, smart meter is a is you know part of the load, um, and I think a very a, a very bad one. But people are doing so much worse things to themselves that for some people, I don't worry about the smart meters much. The reason I think smart meters are one of the worst things ever is that if you once you do your own homework to get rid of your own wireless things and get your own EMFs low, then unless you have a cell tower fairly nearby, your strongest exposure usually is your smart meter, and actually often even worse is your neighbor's smart meter. Um, often when you have a smart meter like an electric panel of your own house, there's actually some shielding from your panel and it's kind of aimed away a little bit, but often when there's a neighbor like across a breezeway 10 feet away and their smart, smart meter is kind of pointing at you, that one's often worse. So the reason I hate smart meters basically is it's an on, involuntary thing. You don't, you don't have any choice. It's not your, you can turn it off yourself you're stuck with it. And to me, for most people, it's the worst thing because it's often the strongest thing that's out of their control. 
and that's kind of why it opposed smart meters. I think it's a horrible technology to do something that could be done on wires to broadcast it everywhere. It's easier than running wires, but I just think it's so toxic. It's it's hard to and it, I just there's just so many people that also that feel that the smart meters were that was the straw that broke the camel's back in their total exposure load. Um, so even if it isn't the only thing they're exposed to, it's the one that kind of put them over. Um, so I'm very concerned about it. One of the ways I, I caution people, though, to get really too um, to worry too much at first. Some smart meters emit a lot more than others. Some emit a lot more often than others. So um, it depends on the setup with the utility and how they're doing it. Like some of those where the guy drives by his truck, the truck pings the smart meter, uh, the smart meter pings back, you get that, that's your ping for the, you know, for the month, say. And in other cases, like here are PG&E smart meters, the typical home, it's going off four or five times a minute constantly. Um, it's, you know, you have both extremes there. Wow. This has been so informative, what you've given us tonight, but I would like to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, and she has the switchboard. Would you be available to answer maybe some questions from some of our listeners? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on our show and, and bringing this valuable information. And back to you, Arielle. Okay. Yeah, this this is just such an important issue, and people really need to, to wake up because, like you said, you can't see it. You can't feel yeah. it. Um, you know, until you start having health problems, and then you'll you'll go look at like everything else before you figure this out. So it's really yeah. important, for, you know, public awareness first of all. Um, yes. And at this time, um, before, because I, I wanted to ask you a few questions myself, but before I do that, um, I just want to tell the people that are listening. If you are, um, if you've already called in and you're on the switchboard listening, if you have a question for Michael, you'll need to press one so that we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on the computer, then pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And um, we will uh, just wait and see. It takes a few minutes for that process to to happen. But um, I wanted to ask you about um, the distance to a source um, you yes. know whether it's the refrigerator, uh, the um, you know the the television, um, and of course having a meter, you, you've got to you've got to know because you can't. There's the only way to know. But in your experience, if you were um, you know standing in front of a a typical um, refrigerator, how yes. far away from it do you have to get to to get a, you know into a so how much distance is necessary? Yes. Um, I actually have a lot of information about safety distances on my website. That's oh, cool. emfcenter.com. So www.emfcenter.com. Just want to let people know you can go there. There's a, there's a whole um, page on distances. Um, and basically, it's, I, it depends, actually, how safe we want to be. Um, so I kind of draw up two – usually I, I kind of think of two levels of exposure. One is sort of for the average person who is being careful, and others for, like, the more extreme, the person who is really sensitive or, uh, 
or dealing with an illness and a diagnosis like cancer, you know, trying to, you know, be much cleaner. So mm-hmm. from a refrigerator, for instance, your main concern there is what we call the magnetic fields. It's an ELF, extremely low frequency magnetic field is what it's called. And that will radiate, radiate out. You'll get a substantial, for a regular person, I'd probably typically want to be about three feet away from the refrigerator when they're running. And for a sensitive person, that distance is probably more like six feet. It'll vary depending on refrigerators, and this is a great way to use a meter is to actually see how fast, how where it drops. So refrigerators, right. some people are so sensitive just opening up the damn thing, right, and going in there <laughs> to get something is too much. Yeah. Um, well, if you yeah. think about the person who stands there with the door open and, and like decides, you know, that what looks good, and you can stand in yeah. front of the refrigerator for 30 seconds um, right there. So um, I, I want to just ask about some, some common um, sources in a house. And wireless phones, not cell phones, yeah. but just, you know, the cordless um, landline phone. Um, I've read places that those have more... Um, electromagnetic frequencies than than cell phones or some of those you know some of those with a um, 900 and 1100 whatever they call it you know megahertz phones right right, um, right. yeah so i mean just having just having a cordless phone in your house even if it's not being used it's still emitting yes yeah it has to do with um they're different so the cell phone and the cordless phone are are different technologies, so it's a little hard to compare. I consider them equal. <laughs> and uh, so what happens is, this, you know, what's interesting about cell phones is they're on a battery. They're trying to save battery life, and they put all kinds of engineering and design into limiting that signal that's broadcast so that they save the battery life. Even if you're closer to a cell tower, it'll ratchet down the signal so it's not wasting battery life. Mm-hmm. Now, the cordless phone system, it's, it, it's powered up, it's plugged in. They're not worried about how much power you're using. It just make, it emits a strong signal. And the other thing that's different, so if you think of like a cell phone, you know, there's the other end of it. When you're talking on the cell phone, you have your cell phone is giving you an exposure. Um, but, but then the, the cell phone is also receiving from a cell tower. Now, depending where the cell tower is, that cell tower experience, that, that level could be quite low or quite high. With a cordless phone, you now have this phone at your head when you're using it, and that makes a pretty strong exposure because they're not worried about saving battery life, right? So mm-hmm. they don't have to go as far, but they're less worried. But there's another part of this. There's no cell tower for it to connect with. There's a base station. That base station is emitting, you know, when somebody talks on the other end of the line, that base station emits it to you. So the problem with the cordless phones in the house is you have the phone at your head and you have the base station somewhere in the house. That's like a mini cell tower, right? That's the that's right the cell tower. Right? And so that yeah. typically for most cordless phones is going all the time. Even if you use it for five minutes a day, the darn thing is emitting a, a signal all that that base station is usually emitting all day long whether you use the phone or not. And what if you disconnect the the phone line, you know, the, the jack that goes into the wall? Yes. Um, does it, it does it still emit even if there's no yeah. phone signal? It still uh, does. Right. That's right. So the way you stop those cordless phone bases, you in most cases, unless they have a battery backup, 
you just unplug them, you take the power off, and they stop signaling. So, you know, okay. most of them will have two cords. One is a power cord, and one is that. The one phone, is the, yeah. Um, cord. Right, right. And you have right. to actually stop the power. Yeah. Because a lot of these things emit, mm-hmm. even if they're not emitting anything that makes sense or works, they still emit. It's kind of like a... So you have to actually take the power off of it. And that's, again, where you almost have to have a meter. It's interesting, like, you have a meter that's making, a, like, for a deck phone, it'll sound something like a, eh, 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 you know, and you unplug yeah. it, and it goes. Um, and, wow. that, and that actually helps the doubters, too. It's kind of interesting that people that doubt this, when you, uh, when you do something like unplug your router or your cordless phone and this strong signal goes away, it's interesting because these meters that do this, this sound, replication you can hear their irritating sounds you can almost like kind of realize uh, that maybe um, electromagnetically this might be irritating to the nervous system too because when that frequency is put into this sound it's darn irritating <laughs> it also, <laughs> well it should be helps, yeah it helps people make this link to um, um, that that there's something going on here you know, another little thing I thought I'd just mention with the sound, um, I've had this happen with clients. I'm thinking of one client where she was having these weird sounds in her head, right, kind of like not quite a tinnitus, but it was really – this is a common thing that people complain about too, is they're hearing these strange sounds. And we had one of these sound function meters, and all of a sudden in this one room it's going, eh, 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 and she goes, that's what I hear. <laughs> her, She was picking up. Yeah, she was – and I had that happen fair, you know, a fair number of times. Um, there's even a name for it called microwave hearing. Um, usually you don't see it scientifically at these kind of low levels, but it does show up like for radar operators, you know, right next to the radars in an airport and stuff. So this does happen where our brain perceives these things. Um, it's another symptom that people have reported. Um, um, so anyways, that, that using the sound function kind of meter I find is really helpful for getting an idea of, yeah, I want to get rid of this. <laughs> right, right. That is just, just it's so helpful um, to have some technology to detect technology that's invisible and dangerous. Um, and there's, like, there's almost nowhere, nowhere to hide from it. So, I mean, I completely understand the importance of having some um space that is safe that you can yes. go especially for sleeping um yes. and that that is just so important um and you know i mean i would I'd... say yeah sorry go ahead i was going to say for sensitive people especially what i found over my 25 some years the really sensitive people i work with if the person that's affected by so many of these things if they can have a space where it can be quiet there's no EMFs. Um, it it helps their you know relationship with their partner, their family, their kids, everything. You know, um, if they had, can get out of that for some part of their day, or have a retreat place to go to when it, when the world gets too crazy to their nerve sensitive nervous system. And a thing that some people end up doing is if they have the property for that, they actually make like a little. You know, like turn like like a, like a little shed building, a small building, no wiring in it. You know, um, very very simple, um, away from things, so it's quiet on all kinds of levels: EMFs, chemicals, sounds. Um, 
having a, a sanctuary space seems to be really important to sensitive people. Well, well, even for people that aren't so sensitive, you know, just getting uh, getting good sleep that I mean that affects everything. Uh, you know, yeah. and people don't get enough sleep; they just get a little cranky, and yes. uh, and you, you know your brain doesn't work quite as well, and all kinds of things from that. But um, yes. yeah, I'm kind of thinking of the the old. Um, underground bomb shelters, you know, um, because if you go underground, doesn't it doesn't that stop EMF as well? Just having you know being subterranean, or does it per- yes. does it permeate? Um, it depends on the field. Um, you tend to um, the lower you t- you tend to get out a lot of the fields, and one of the most interesting early experiments was actually just that, putting people in a bunker. Um, Below the ground, um, and what and what they actually did in this study is a German study. I don't think you could do this anymore. Um, where people for weeks are in an underground bunker with no connection to the outside, so they have no clues of it, whether it's actually daytime or nighttime. And the thing was to watch their their rhythms, their their biorhythms, their their, their night their day sleep rhythms. And when they shielded the room so that the magnetic fields of the earth could not, you know, that signal was not being received, then their bio, their their clocks would go off, you know. You'd be awake for 20 hours. or sleep. There was, like, no rhythm anymore to it. Mm-hmm. And when they introduced just even an artificial 10-cycle field, which is kind of an artificial way of trying to mimic the earth's field, their cycles fell into some kind of balance again. Hmm. Um, so... This wasn't, this wasn't looking at, so the Earth signal from the, the Earth's magnetic field is a much more complex thing that we get cues off of, but it, it, it proved that we were, were picking up things. And, yes, when you go underground, you're getting away from a lot of things. The one thing you're not getting away from yet is the Earth's magnetic field. Um, but if you shield from that, then you see, you know, things really go off. Some of the worst cases well. of EMF, Healthy issues I've seen are when people are really high environments and their sleep is so off that they paste their pla- plaster all the windows with some kind of dark material. They can't sleep. So even if they finally feel like they want to sleep and it's 2 in the afternoon, they need it all dark and they sleep whenever they can. Um, that's some of the worst cases I've seen of sleep effect. And it's very common when you get into some high exposures, high enough exposures. Mm. But, but it would seem to me that the, you know, the natural resonance of the earth um, I mean, we evolved here, so isn't, aren't we in kind of simpatico with that? Yes, that's what it looks like. And a lot of these things are probably interfering with that. Right. But it's out of right. in our world. You know, you can think of it, if you have, if you have some magnetic crystals um, in your brain to attach the nerves that are somehow through the brain figuring out that it's nighttime, it's a very subtle signal you know, very quiet kind of signal of the earth. And then around us we have these artificial fields, the frequencies of which are close enough to maybe interfere, but about a thousand times stronger. So here's the brain trying to listen to this natural little peep of the planet, you know, and you've got all this ruckus going on around us. It's kind of no right. wonder that sleep right. is so disruptive and our, um, and our ability to fight cancer is probably um, so compromised. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the EMF is not only um, setting up a, a situation where you can't fight 
the cancer, and it's also causing it. It's causing it, and then tying your hands so that your body can't defend itself. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just what yeah. you described to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know. Yeah. Um, and the, the the irony of it all is how much people pay to have their wireless stuff. <laughs> it's like here you go. This is going to make you sick. And by the way, we're going to charge you for that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it's 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 just. It's really upside down. So we have you know, a one, caller now. <clears throat> we have a yeah. caller now with a question. So um, you are going to be talking to Joanne. So let me get your microphone open. Hi, Joanne. You are on the air with Michael. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for um, you know having this program. I'm actually um, I, I have. EM, what I call EM, EMFS, what other people call EHS. Um, I, I've been a graphic designer by trade for the past, uh, since maybe the early 2000s. And in 2009, I started to experience um, some issues with my thyroid uh, when I started really working with um, laptop computers and wireless. Um, so the, the past year, I've re- it's been... Pretty, uh, pretty intense where I've actually had to stop working on the computer, not having a cell phone, you know, not having like any electronics um, in my home. My question is, um, I'm curious about x-rays and where they fall in the um, ELF category if they do. X-rays. So like, x-rays like for medical purposes or whatever purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. X-rays, um, if you think of... Um, if you think of the rainbow, right, from red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, those are some those are those colors of the, of the rainbow. If um, the EMFs that we're talking about, this, the the magnetic fields of the Earth that we're talking about, if you went from the red side of it of the rainbow and you went to infrared and then to radio frequency and then to these VLF, ELF, you'd be way. Oh, think of the rainbow on the red side and you're going way, you know, ten times more to the left <laughs> or um that's that's the fields we're talking about x-rays on the other hand are on the other side of the rainbow you know you have where you have the blue indigo violet if you could see it you'd see ultraviolet and right after that you'd see x-rays so it's on the other end of this energy spectrum so it's a very different field so in common usage we no longer call that an emf we call that an EMR, electromagnetic radiation, even though it could be both. And then for the kind of things we're talking about, we tend to call it things that are on the, um, on the, the lower end, the, the red side of the rainbow, we tend to call fields, electromagnetic fields, and things on that other side of it, the purple side, and X-rays, we tend to call that radiation, um, although those are actually inter-terms. Inter so X-rays are very different. They are shielded different. They have very different ways of operating. They operate, they're called ionizing radiation, which means that they actually disrupt molecules and change the, the, the electrons and where the electrons are in orbit. And um, so you're doing these really forceful changes to, to atoms and molecules, and that's the danger there. You can actually change chromosomes and things. So the effects with x-rays are more like a, like a powerful thing. You know, it's more like a... Um, it's really like socking somebody hard, socking the cell really hard so that it, it's disrupted. Where the EMFs don't have that power to knock out electrons and change molecules, 
that they're more interfering with the signaling. So if something's going on in the, in, in the cell is saying, oh, I should be taking more um, iron into the in, through my membrane right now, they might interfere with that signaling. You know, they're not blowing it out of the water, disrupting, damaging the cell. They're just affecting the communications. So it's a very different thing. And so those X-rays and all those nuclear radiations, those are considered, of course, really serious. We, you know, we know that. That's there's no doubt about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's we're relatively protect, protected from that. Um, although some people would say we're still getting a pretty good exposure. Like you just go up in a plane, you get a couple, you know, thirty thousand feet in the air. You have a lot less atmosphere protecting you, and you get more, more of that kind of ionizing radiation just being, you know, at a higher altitude. Mm -hmm. So um, it's still an issue, um, but it's a very different issue than these low-frequency EMFs. And then why why is it that, um, say, a lead apron that would protect against X-rays wouldn't protect against something like RF radiation? Yes, exactly, because they're different things. It's um, so so the, the lead aprons, for instance, the reason they work is those electrons, they get, uh, the, or the, um, the X-ray energy gets absorbed by the lead and, and kind of blocks it from getting through. Where the EMFs are different, so the lead wouldn't necessarily stop these EMFs, depending, and it depends. So even in the EMFs, like the, the stuff from the power lines is a very different kind of EMF than, say, the stuff from your cell phone or, your, or a Wi-Fi router. So they each get stopped by different materials in different ways. Some of them go through things. Some of them bounce off things. Um, your, ra- you know, the radio frequencies, all this wireless stuff. Um, most of the shielding is going to be some kind of conductive material that has no holes or very little holes in it, and it acts like a mirror. It doesn't absorb it mostly. It it it, it mirrors it away. Um, it's one of the reasons that we have to be careful with shielding. Like someone shields their room, and it keeps the things out that used to come in, the radio frequencies, say, from a neighbor's smart meter. But if they go in there and use their cell phone, guess what? That mirror is a two-way mirror, and it's reflecting back in that cell phone. It just made their cell phone exposure worse, even though they made the um, smart meter exposure uh, much better. And then when you get to other kinds of EMFs, so when you start to look at power lines and wiring, the electricity-related fields, the electric field from that is very easy to shield just by a grounded metal material, and, it's just, and that gets absorbed, basically, that energy. And then the magnetic fields from that same thing, power lines and wiring, that is very difficult to stop, and you have to actually use special materials that are very conductive. They, like, they kind of attract the magnetic fields to go through those materials rather than spread out in the air. And so it's more like using like honey to attract flies, you could say. You're trying to – it's a different kind of shielding. So every EMF um, has a little bit of different characteristics. And so lead doesn't work for these lower frequencies because it's a whole different physics. And then the the last question I have is um, it relates to lithium-ion batteries – do they have yeah. a specific um, EMF? So most batteries, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an EMF component that we don't normally worry about that's not changing. Um, what's usually the issue with batteries 
and I don't mean that it is an issue, it's a smaller one, the, the battery itself, what's usually the issue with batteries is the wiring that's going to and from it, the charging of the batteries and the releasing of the energy to something, that system is what often makes the strong EMFs. Are you consider? Are you thinking in particular like something like a hybrid car, or do you have something in mind? Uh, no, like uh, the lithium-ion battery for cell phones or laptop computers. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, in general, that's a very low um, um, for, for the average, for, like like field-wise, you have very little circuitry. Usually, there's very low. Um, energy and fields from the battery itself. Like in a, in a laptop, most of the energy that in the fields you're getting is going to be from the power supply that charges the battery. Um, that kind of stuff is going to be mostly the field, not the battery itself. So in, for most people, we'd say, oh, we'd even ignore the battery. It's not anything, maybe the electronics and things. But for really sensitive people, like I wouldn't know in your case, some people... I never quite know what's going to happen. I have people that are just, they can't even stand being around any metal, you know, just like aluminum metal is is somehow setting them off. So I would normally say the EMFs from a lithium battery are very minor, that it's the electronics they're used with, that's the issue. Um, but for any particular person, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to declare that as true because I've seen individuals have trouble with stuff like that. Do you feel that you might have an issue with, with the batteries themselves? Uh, I, I question it, yeah, definitely. I would guess that what you're having trouble with is the electronics that the battery is powering because mm -hmm. that is definitely measurable and that is, you know, much more definitely toxic. Um, you know, and even like, because like I, I was thinking first maybe you're talking about some of the hybrids, like I have a Prius, and on the right passenger, uh, the passenger back side, there's some really high magnetic fields related to how the, the battery, it's not the battery, it's the way that the um, battery is being charged and discharging and the wires that are all there to do that um, is the issue. Um, so that's my guess is if you're having trouble, it's not the battery itself. Like I'm guessing if you've got a different kind of battery that wouldn't solve it, that you'd, it would be actually what the battery is supplying and the electronics and it's the electronics fields that are maybe bothering you. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. This is such an important topic, and um, I think it is like you made the analogy to food allergies, how, you know, a, a lot of people were not kind of <laughs> understanding food allergies 10 years ago, and now, you know, it's kind of mainstream. So I'm hoping... <laughs> That's what's happening with, with this. Uh, so thank you so much for the work you do. Thank you for calling in, Joanne. Bye-bye. 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 Well, those are some good questions. And um, I know that, that there are people that are, that are um, battery sensitive. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah, I mean, again, proximity and duration yeah. have got to be a factor. Yes. So um, this has just been so informative. I can't believe we're almost out of time, and that's just the mark of a good guest. So you might have to come back because there's there's a lot more that you know that we need to know. So um, yeah. it's just been a I'd wonderful be presentation. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Is is there anything that that a point that you wanted to make that you hadn't gotten to? Hmm. Um. Huh? I'm thinking there's um. It is. It you know just even like psychologically and emotionally, it's such a such a um. It can. It's very easy for this to sort of be um, uh, frightening or um, overwhelming. <laughs> so I really like to encourage people to um, empower themselves, um, especially with some meters. Um, so you just detect things and know what's going on. You're guessing less, you know. Um, especially if you have health problems, you can start to correlate, um, you know, possible exposures now that you know that they're happening. Uh, I think it's really good as things get kind of crazier in the world, especially for us that are more sensitive, have sensitive bodies and nervous systems, to have some way of monitoring around us. And um, that way we'll be healthier, a little, you know, a little more capable, and we'll be trained teaching others um, at the same time. It won't be just us saying, oh, there's something here. Uh, like if people have meters, they're kind of showing, oh, it's really, there is something here. I just think that's right. going to be really helpful. I also think there's a lot of people who are affected by this but don't realize it yet. Well, you know, um, I was just about to say that, you know, people start having trouble sleeping, and so they go to the doctor and they get a prescription for Ambien. And yes. that's just that's just adding gas to the fire. Yes. Because um, the last thing you need, if you're already having, a, you know, an adverse effect from EMF, and just go ahead and add some pharmaceuticals in there, and yeah. uh, you know. So, if you're having a health problem, I think you should first um, get a meter and see what the levels are in yeah. your house. Yes. And you know, but you can be proactive. Um, and then, you know, if you're <laughs> if you're living, uh, you know, in the, in the land of Oz and you don't have any problems, then then you can go to the doctor and see if there is something else going on. But um, yeah, it's it's so vitally important, especially for our audience, because our audience is very spiritual, and and therefore a lot of sensitivities to the, some of the harsh things in this world. So what you're doing is so vitally important, and um, you're a pioneer and a leader, and I hope only um, lots of people come and follow in your footsteps. Yes, we are, and I think we. Especially when we're sensitive, we need this. We need protection. <laughs> oh yeah. You know. Yeah. And you know, like, quality. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think maybe the gift is, you know, sometimes it feels like a curse. People who are having um, health issues and sensitivity, this kind of thing. But in some ways, it's a be- it's a blessing because um, just because people aren't having noticeable health effects doesn't mean they're not being affected. And sometimes, if you're sort of the canary or the early warning system, you'll take steps to take care of yourself. And it isn't unusual to have a very, you know, for clients to have a very sensitive person and say one person in the relationship is is highly sensitive and maybe the husband in this case is helping care for her because, oh, I don't, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, you know, guess who's the one who ends up getting sick, you know, and who's around later. Um, often it's the sensitive person I find that sort of perseveres. I think it's partly because they've been taking care of themselves in ways others haven't had to. Right, right. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, well, Michael, I will look forward to um, having you back on our show with more great information. And I know this field is 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 new, 
but it is so vitally important, and we so much appreciate your uh, sharing your time with us and our audience. Great. Really a pleasure to be here with you both today. So um, we're going to wrap up and uh, from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy. Have a great week. Take a look at Michael's website, which is emfcenter.com, and that other um, website that you referenced, Bioinitiative Report. Is it plural? You know, I think it's actually bioinitiative.org. Dot org. I, oh, I thought it was the report. I thought it was too. Okay. I think it's actually it's called the Bioinitiative Report, but I believe the um, the URL is bioinitiative.org. Okay, that's that's another good uh, good resource for people to take a look at things. So, thank you again, Michael, for sharing your time with us. And until next week, everyone, take care and find something to be grateful for every day. Good night, everyone. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 